All right, Alexander, let's talk about Ukraine and what is happening on the front lines, what is happening on, uh, not on the front lines. Uh, we have some interesting statements from Budanov. He's kind of admitted that the counteroffensive has failed, yeah. and uh, it has failed. Yes. It has yeah. failed, and the Russians are, are advancing. Uh, no big arrow offenses. They're just doing what the Russians have been doing from day uh, one. Exactly. Grinding, uh, grinding things uh, out and grinding Ukraine down. Uh, what's going on? on, on That's exactly what, that is exactly what, what is happening. I mean, Budanov made a, gave a most interesting interview with Ukrainska Pravda. And of course, you know, you have to unscramble it a little. But basically, he just said, I mean, you know, our army is out of, you know, we're, we're out of schedule. <laughs> whatever, whatever that's intended to mean. But the reality is what he was saying is our offensive has failed. We haven't broken through. We haven't broken through in any part of the front line, in any place where we were attacking. All those tens of thousands of men who have died or been critically wounded over the last few months, um, that has all happened to them for nothing. All, the, all that machinery, all that expensive machinery we got from the West, that's all been uh, burnt up. The, you know, the tanks, the, all of those things. And we're now critically short of shells. Of course, he didn't say that, but we all know that we are. And because, we, because our demands for shells have been so extravagant and inordinate, um, the US is itself now desperately short of shells, as US officials are admitting. And if Israel launches a ground offensive in Gaza, there might be problems finding enough shells to cover it. But put all that aside, Budanov is basically saying the offensive has failed. It, it, they're continuing to launch light infantry assaults in the Rabotino-Verbovoye area. It's all happening now in increasingly cold, wet, windy weather which must be a nightmare for the soldiers on top of everything else that has happened up to this point. But the reality is that in every other part of the front line, and even to some extent in the, in the Verbovoye, Rabotino area, it's the Russians now on the attack. And the Russians launched a big attack near the town of Avdeevka, which is close to Donetsk. I don't think this was any sort of attempt to swoop in on Avdeevka, or capture the place immediately, or do any of these things. And if you actually work out which Russian military units have been involved in this operation near Avdeevka, they're all units drawn from the militia, the second corps, the first corps, which is in effect the, the first corps of the Russian army, which is in effect the Donetsk militia, which has now been taken under the control of the Russian Ministry of Defense. So we're not talking about the regular troops of the Russian army, but they've made significant advances in Avdeevka. They're ever so gradually closing the vice around this particular town. But the major objective, as always, remains exactly what you said, to grind the Ukrainians down, to get the Ukrainians to re 
deploy more reinforcements to try to hold their positions there, to inflict more casualties on the Ukrainians, to thin further the Ukrainian battle lines across the battlefronts, and to cause the Ukrainians to deplete their reserves, trying to plug these gaps in all of these various places. So it's gradual, incremental pressure being exerted by the Russians right across the front lines, and we see it in the north, near Kupiansk. We see it in Bakhmut now, where the Russians are pushing hard near Bakhmut. And we've seen it most spectacularly in Avdeevka. And in the meantime, there's been another session. Um, Medvedev has now said that 357,000 men have joined the Russian military since the start of the year. We're going to have before long a million Russian troops prepared to strike in Ukraine, when I say before long, probably sometime um, in the spring or summer of 2024. It's, it's an amazing admission from Budanov. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the mainstream media is, is at fault. The, the Alensky regime is at fault. The collective West is at fault. Uh, all of these tens of thousands of men uh, died and, and injured for for nothing, they for gained nothing. nothing. They gained, they gained nothing. absolutely nothing. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it, it's amazing that after Bakhmut, after Surovikin, came out and said what the strategy of Russia is, yes. which is to to create the, the the scenario where Ukraine feeds their military into into what essentially is is Russian uh, artillery. Yeah. That the Ukraine command, that the NATO command has not figured this out. No. So now you have pretty much the same thing happening in Avdivka. You have the same thing now happening in Rapotinia. You have the same thing happening in Kupiansk. It is, I mean, the Russians are, I'm being very simple about this, but I'm trying to summarize this, but the Russians are just copy and pasting the strategy across the front lines where they create the scenarios where you have this cauldron, they have fire control. Ukraine, for some reason, Ukraine continues to throw men into this cauldron and, and the Russians annihilate them. I, how come they can't figure this out? This, it's so bizarre what's the, the way this, they've, they've run this, this, uh, this war. The, the Ukraine generals and the NATO generals, the smartest people, these guys are the smartest people in the world, the smartest military commanders in the world. doesn't seem like it. Well, you, you've, you've explained it many times. You've explained it on this uh, channel, on the Duran, and you've explained it many times on your own channel. One side, the Russians, are military professionals. They are fighting a war. The other side are amateurs in terms of actual kinetic war, but they are experts in one thing, which is public relations, media, that sort of stuff. And, you know, this... Morning, over my breakfast coffee, I was reading the Daily Telegraph, heroic defence in Avdeevka. The Ukrainians are standing firm there, uh, claims about how they've managed to destroy, you know, improbable numbers of Russian tanks and armoured vehicles, of which, by the way, there is no sign. And, I mean, this particular story is undoubtedly wildly exaggerated. But, you know, that, that is what it's about. It's about conveying... An image, a story, a narrative of, uh, you know, a heroic defense and of the Russians being um, defeated at, in every place. Like, you know, a couple of, you know, over the last week, before the crisis in the Middle East took off, 
the British media was full of Ukraine's great naval victory in the Black Sea. <laughs> you know, that the, the, the Ukrainians had somehow driven the Black Sea fleet, the Russian Black Sea fleet, out of the Black Sea, which, of course, is completely not true. It has no reality, no actual military, behind, military reality behind it. As I said, they've sent two missiles against an empty building. They've done a certain amount of damage to two ships which were under repair. That's about it, actually. <laughs> but nonetheless, and they've caused the Russians to redeploy some ships from one Black Sea port to another Black Sea port. <laughs> but this is a great victory. Uh, and, and this is the narrative that we're hearing every day, day after day, week after week. Now, Zelensky himself and Budanov, they have enough co connections to reality, they, and Budanov especially, I think, understand a bit more about what is really going on. But they're now trapped inside the narrative themselves. They can't really break away for it. The only thing that Zelensky seems able to do is he's able to swap a green jacket for a black one. <laughs> That's all he's managed. What do you make of uh, the strategy now? which is to link Ukraine to Israel, to create this linkage of the two conflicts. I mean, obviously, that's the plan for Ukraine to not fall out of the, the media news cycle, but it's also the plan to, to link Ukraine to Israel, uh, blame Russia for everything, say that these wars are connected somehow, and that's the way for Ukraine to continue to, to also receive money and financial aid. What do you think of this strategy? I, a, I think politically it's an extremely bad idea. This is my own view. I mean, I think what it will do is just highlight the fact for people in the United States, which is the place where all this plan is being hatched, that in fact there are two wars on and that appropriations uh, for one, uh, supplies to one side in Ukraine is at the expense of supplies to another side, which is Israel. So, I mean, you know, it, it, you, what you're just doing is you're, by this plan, is you're going to draw attention to this fact. You might conceivably get one appropriation through Congress like this, but I think politically it's a very bad call. That's my own, my own view. And I understand anyway that the Republicans in the House have made it clear that they're not interested in, the, in it. And I saw that Stephen Scalise, who they were perhaps counting on, has apparently pulled out of the <laughs> attempt to become Speaker. I think it was a mistake for him to go for it. And, I mean, the fact that he has cancer, poor man, is another reason not to do it. It was a pretty desperate move to try to place him in. But anyway, I think that all of these plans, all that they're doing is that they're hardening opposition in the House, in Congress, amongst Republicans there. And I think it was a mistake. And I think more likely than not, after a lot of you know, horse trading and fighting and battle things, somebody will appear, will emerge as speaker. But whoever that is, that person will be less willing to move ahead with funding for Ukraine. I think this is now inevitable. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if uh, Zelensky still has an opportunity to, to capitulate. He won't, but I wonder no. if there's still a little bit of an opportunity left. And... Um, what, what do you, and a final question, the, the IMF, they also told Ukraine that, that the money is drying up. What they need to do is, is raise taxes and find ways for, 
for the state to to uh, to get revenue. Uh, what more of a clearer signal can you get other than that, which is the IMF telling you, you know, sooner or later, it's you're on your own. I mean, if this was me, if I, if I was in Zelensky's position, I mean, it's 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 clear. I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna save what's left, I better call up Russia or find or call up China to mediate yeah. something. Or I don't know. Yes. Just yes, figure yes. out a way to to end this because it's it's going bad with with Steve Scalise. I thought I thought with the Steve Scalise uh, becoming the House Speaker, I thought maybe that's one one ray of light for for Ukraine, and that Steve Scalise he's pro war, so at least that's that's some hope for Ukraine. But even that's been that's that, that's over with now. I mean, there, there's I don't see anything that is going Ukraine's way whatsoever. Not that it ever has been going its way for the past year and a half during this conflict. To be mm-hmm. quite honest, it was just a lot of media hype. But uh, now I think reality is is is, is getting very real. I mean, yeah. That's the best expression I can. This is this is call up China, call up Russia, and end this conflict. Absolutely. I mean, or, or, you know, China is the obvious one, and of course Putin is going to China in a few days. We don't quite know when, but he's on his way there. And the right thing to do would be to call Xi Jinping, who's already spoken to Zelensky before ask him to mediate a compromise and to set up some kind of discussion. And, you know, that is what Zelensky should do. I mean, there are other potential mediators, there's Erdogan always, but the best run by far is China, because China actually has some leverage over uh, the Russians, and it's also able to provide funding for Ukraine. But he's not going to do that. And you're absolutely right. Now, the IMF advice on its face is absurd. What is Ukraine supposed to tax? <laughs> In order to raise taxes, you, you need a functioning economy. Ukraine doesn't have a functioning economy. What it has is a huge amount of money, a wall of money that has been moving into Ukraine month after month, week after week, since the special military operation began. Stop that. <laughs> switch, you know, pull down the switch. And at that point, I mean, there is absolutely nothing left that you could tax. Now, the IMF knows that. Zelensky, I can't believe even he doesn't understand that. So what the IMF is telling him is, yeah, we're pulling out. This is our advice. You know, you should follow this advice. But the reality is they're basically telling him this is over. We can't help you anymore. The Americans are going away. The Americans are drifting away from you. Uh, There's a limit to what the Europeans can do. And even the Europeans have admitted they can't replace the United States in this conflict. So, you know, you've got to find your own solutions. And there's obviously... There's only one, which is to do what you said, call Xi Jinping. But they're not going to do it because Zelensky has trapped himself into a rhetorical hole. He has said so many things about Putin that he's not really going to be able to move. And we talked about Budanov. Budanov may have some understanding that this is going badly wrong. But he still represents forces within Ukraine 
that are completely dead set against any kind of compromise. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, I think Budanov would prefer a heroic defeat and the destruction of Ukraine to a compromise which would he would see as um, basically betraying the vision that he has committed himself so much to, and which, to be frank, he has done some pretty terrible things um, in order to see it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I find the, the fact that he's, he's admitted to the ZNPP strikes that Ukraine's behind it, and then this statement admitting that the counteroffensive has uh, indeed failed. It's interesting. He's, he's talking a lot of truth over the past yes. couple of days, Butanov. He's admitting, yes, revealing a lot of things. Yes, yes. It's interesting. Yes, it is interesting. I mean, he's, he's an interesting man to watch. And um, to be honest, um, I'm sure Zelensky's already figured him out. But I think if I was Zelensky, I'd be very, very careful about what Budanov might do at some point over the next few weeks. If there's going to be any kind of sudden change of power in Kiev, I would not be at all surprised if Budanov is at the centre of it. I would not be surprised, to be honest, if we saw Budanov emerge as the next leader of whatever's left. Yeah. Yeah, whatever's left, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, and you have the dumb Europeans taking the, the profits from uh, the Russian frozen assets and giving one, $1. $1.7 to Ukraine. It's actually to the military-industrial complex so that they yes. can create weapons and the Peace Stability Fund yes. so they can somehow... Yes. Drag this on for how much longer? A month, month and a half, a couple of weeks. I mean, and, and it's and it's going to ruin the EU. Oh, absolutely! But but they're, I they're, think they're getting the warnings from financial yes, experts. Don't do this. I know. No, they they're going to do themselves. They can't help themselves. I mean, I actually, I think that the fact that they're now being driven to do this is in itself a sign of how bad things are becoming. It it it, it, it signals the fact in the short term that they're becoming aware of the fact that both European electorates and the Americans are now uh, turning strongly against continued funding for Ukraine. So they've got to find some way to fund it. So steal Russian assets and do that as well. But I think behind that, there is an even greater factor, which is that this whole thing is ending in a debacle. They can't give the money back to the Russians. I mean, that's something that they're not able to do. So this is the moment when they seize the funds and plunder them, because that's what it would be, and keep them for themselves. And that's, that's really a sign, a stronger sign than any other, that we're now coming to the end of this affair. And by the way, note, note, note that when we talk about $300 billion now, it's not the frozen assets of the Russian Central Bank. They've only found some of that. It's also the assets of private Russian individuals, which have also been frozen. This is going to destroy confidence in the European Union. It's going to destroy confidence. And the funny part about all of this, what I find hilarious, tragically hilarious, it's tragic because I'm living in, in Europe, is that the U.S. is cheering this on. Yes. Because the U.S. is like, yeah, do this because it's, you know... No one's going to want to put money in, in Europe anymore, so they, they could park it with us. I mean, this is 
This is self-deletion on the side of uh, of the EU. Yeah, absolutely. They don't understand it, which is so it's swift all over again. Swift all over again. It, it, it is so extraordinary. I mean, you know, and the, the extent of the disconnection from reality is you have Joseph Borrell goes to China. And he tells the Chinese, why don't you take us seriously? I find that the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, unintentionally comic statements I've heard all year, actually. You know, you can't, why, why don't you in China take Europe seriously? We're a great geopolitical power. That was what he said. I, I, I mean, the, the Chinese, who are polite people, <laughs> must have gone afterwards. Uh, uh, you know, once he was out of the room and must have been beside themselves with laughter. Oh boy. All right. TheDuran.Local.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran shop. 20% off. Use the code The Duran 20 Take care.